If you've been a renter, you know it's stressful to find the perfect place. But Zillow Rentals make it easy. They have filters for pretty much everything. So you can find a rental that's big enough for entertaining your friends, but small enough they won't crash all weekend. Find your sweet spot on ZillowRentals.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the GC Sunscast, the longest running Gold Coast Sun show on the interwebs and that is all thanks to our Patreon sponsors, Dale Snelling, Paul Vosti, Robbie Fiorini, Brody Burgess, Kate Kelland, Tom Kim, Chris Moore and Tim. You can help support the show by heading over to patreon.com forward slash GC Sunscast. But if you can't afford a couple of dollars, don't worry. Head on over to YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Spotify, or wherever you like to get your podcast from. Like, subscribe, and review the show to let as many people find our little Sunners community as possible. Now, big show tonight. We're going to talk about the heartbreaking loss to Adelaide. And the injury news to Suns captain Jared Witts. But first, before we do that, I'd like to introduce my guest for tonight. Welcome to the show, Chris Kendall. Shane, thank you very much for having me. I've been a long-time fan of the podcast and really honoured to have a chance to uh, make a small contribution. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks for joining me. I did forget to introduce myself as well. So obviously, yes, I'm Shane. Uh, but most people would know that already. Um, so Chris... You've got a bit of a history in South Australia. Uh, tell us a bit about yourself and how you became a Suns fan. Lived in South Australia all my life. As you know, we're a two-team town over here. You're either Adelaide or Port. When Gold Coast first came into the competition, and I watched the very first match and most of the matches that year, I, I found myself quite drawn to the club. And at the time, I was very much falling out of love with the Adelaide Crows. I had a lot of challenges at the time, as we know, um, on-field off-field, um, the Kurt Tippett saga, Stephen Trigg issues, moving into the state league competition, quite a number of issues. And I just found that I was getting quite indifferent to the local teams, but I had a real interest in how the Suns were travelling. And of course, that first game at Carlton, and we played against Carlton, disappointing result, but there were some really good signs there from that first time. And I just found that I was watching more and more of the Suns and less and less of Adelaide along the way. And I made the, the jump across at the, the middle of 2013 and thought, well, it's time to actually put some financial support at the club, time to come come across and join. And I've been a, a very loud, passionate member of the local Sun Screamers community here in South Australia for over eight years now and absolutely live and breathe Gold Coast. People I work with will tell you that I've got the only desk in the entire organisation, nearly 2,000 people that is covered in Sun stuff. I'll talk about the Suns all day, every day. And and it's, it's, just, it's just a really club I really love, I must admit. I've, I've really fallen in love with it with the Suns over the years. And, you know, there's just so many exciting parts, but we have lots of heartbreak along the way, and we'll talk about Friday night shortly. But for me, it's been a very easy transition, Shane. I, I just absolutely love the club and, and live and breathe it. Okay, so, yeah, very interesting there. I mean, spending, uh, being an Adelaide fan in Adelaide for over, uh, sorry, I don't, did you say 30 or 40 years now? I've lived here all my life, so yeah. um, I'll, I'll give away my age for those of you that think that I'm you know, <laughs> a very young-looking chap. I'm, I'm 47, so I'll, I've grown up with the local um, sandful so, um, here in South Australia all the way through. So you would have seen the introduction of the Crows. Um, that was a whole complete drama uh, with Port Adelaide and Adelaide eventually getting that licence. But you would have 
been a part or seen how a club is built from scratch did you take any of those learnings that you'd witnessed from the crows and keep an interest because of that on the suns Look, very much so, and I guess I had to measure how the Suns did things with how GWS did things, and we can talk about that shortly. But certainly how Adelaide did it was very much a blueprint, I suppose, to look at. And and it was different different for Gold Coast. They didn't have a lot of retired or, or players in the twilight of their careers leaving Victorian clubs and coming back to play for um, Queensland, as we did see with, with Adelaide coming into the AFL. You know, they had the likes of Bruce Lindner and... Um, and those sorts of players coming back at the, the end of their careers to, to play a few years at there. Gold Coast never had that opportunity, so they didn't get to attract many many former players back down there, whereas we looked at how GWS did it. They took a lot of older players also at the twilight of their career and had them as, as perhaps playing coaches almost in that first couple of years. And in hindsight, I think that's probably what we should have done at the Suns too. We opted to put our money into, into youth and into players that were in the middle of their careers when maybe we needed to look at a bit of on-field guidance as GWS did with the Chad Corns, Dean Brogan, James McDonald, uh, Luke Powell, those sorts of players towards the end of things. Yeah, the, I remember the Adelaide setup. It was very... It, it helps that the Sandful had, was such a strong competition back then and you actively had um, VFL, as the competition was back in Victoria back then, VFL quality players, if not better, um, staying in Adelaide and playing in the Sandful as a choice. And as soon as the Crows came in, a lot of those came on board with the Crows. So they automatically had that influx of mature season talent that could come in and immediately impact. So the Crows definitely had an advantage there. And um, you're right, the, the Suns had to go down the youth path. They were limited with the... Um, availability of uh, quality and potential with when it came to players and we find ourselves 10 years into the competition of the Suns playing in the AFL and uh, we really haven't been able to get much further than what we're at at this moment which is probably the same point we were three or four years into the the Gold Coast Suns history um, so when you came on board back in 2013, did you see, like, was there a game that turned your mind on the Suns? You mentioned the Carlton game back then, but uh, I'm thinking more along the lines of a game that you witnessed live. They would have played Adelaide and Port a few times, and the only win they would have had would have been against Port back in our first season at Football Park. I never saw the Suns play live at Football Park. Football Park, I mean, RIP, it was our, our premier home of football here for 40 years, and it's now a demolition site, unfortunately. I didn't see that game. I listened to it. I was actually, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm working here in, in South Australia in the Sandville. I've worked on radio and TV now for, for 17 years in commentary and in a, in a variety of roles also in the print media. And I was coming back from a game we were covering on ABC TV at Prospect Oval that day. And was tuned in the last quarter of that game at, at Football Park when we came from 40 points down to, to knock over Port. And, and I must admit, that game there really did pique my interest. You know, to come from so far back against a team that admittedly was down on its knees financially. They were down on their knees with, with attendances. They had maybe 20,000 there that day compared to the 45,000, 50,000 we get at Adelaide Oval now. Matthew Primus, of course, we know at the Suns, was really struggling in the coaching box here through a lack of resources. 
And here was this young team that everyone expected Port was going to knock over by 10 goals, and all of a sudden they're, they're winning virtually after the siren when Justin Westhoff missed from 30 metres out, one of the more reliable kicks in the game. That was probably the game that really got me thinking about the Suns, I suppose, and really starting to get behind them. And also, you know, the Richmond game, um, where we gold after the siren, siren there and, and pitched that one there as well. Yeah. I just found that I was, I was taking far more interest in Gold Coast than I, than I was in Adelaide. I was, I was really drifting right away from Adelaide and thinking, you know, this, this is a team I want to follow. They play an open style of football, an exciting brand of football. It's one that's getting beaten more often than not, but at least they're trying things, and at least we're trying something a little bit different rather than just the stagnating, chip it around, you know, rack up lots of lovely super coach points in the back half for, for 20 minutes without actually moving the ball forward. Whether it was working or not, we were still trying to push the ball forward under Louis McKenna, and that was something that really attracted me. So what was your favourite moment uh, supporting the Suns? Oh, I've got to say probably 2018, actually round 18. We were coming in having lost 11 in a row and taking on Sydney at the SCG in a game where absolutely nobody expected us to win. Most people didn't even expect us to be competitive. And we, the Suns just ran right over the top of them. And that was an absolutely memorable day in a very hostile environment against a team that was right at the top of their powers. And we came, came over and pinched the win that day. Um, I remember just, just leaping around the house and, and really just enjoying every second of that. My, my twin boys... And one of them was only two and a half at the time. The first thing he said to his mum when she walked through the door after shopping is go sons. Now, she was less pleased with that than I was. I'll give you the quiet tip. Um, <laughs> but but that, that, that was just an absolutely fantastic moment for the club. It was an opportunity to be a real watershed. Unfortunately, the week after, we coughed up a terrible effort against Carlton and went straight back to the old ways again. But that was just a fantastic win. Yeah, it it certainly was one to remember. It was probably the first Suns game that I actually did a big montage on the podcast. I was just so excited by that win. I had to put it, you know, commemorate it somehow. Um, so what what's the Suns community like in South Australia? Is there a big following or do you sort of feel like you're the only fish in the ocean down there? You might in a workplace, but not when you're at the game. We've got a very small but very passionate group of people. We've got people like Mitchell Powell, who's done a fantastic job um, with the Sunscreamers away here in, in South Australia for a long time. I've got lots of mates, like, you know, Quentin, um, Sophie. Um, there's, there's a big group of us that, that, that go along to the games and, and just really enjoy it. There were probably 40 or 50 of us there the other night, and that, <clears throat> excuse me, might not sound like a, a big group of people. We were very loud and very passionate. We had a fan drive over from Melbourne to come and see the game um, and he brought a large drum with him and, and by that I meant a marching drum and every time we kicked the goal he was beating the drum and I've watched the replay and you can hear it as clear as a bell on the replay and a good friend of mine was actually out there in the middle on match day duties that night and he said he could hear it from wherever he was um, it was a really loud passionate group of people so, so we are small but we get right around at big time and we talk a lot online, we, we have you know, gatherings at games when we can we keep in touch via Facebook, via Facebook groups, um, texts, all that sort of thing. You know, for, for the one or at the most two times a year that Gold Coast come over here and play, whether that's against either of the Adelaide teams or against Hawthorne as it was late last season, there's always a, a vocal continued us out there. When, obviously, this year and last year with what's been going on in the world, you've sort of had restricted access to the club. But prior to that, when you went and... When the Suns were in town... Did you, did you as a group, uh, like get uh, catch up with 
did the club put any sort of event on for you guys to meet the players or uh, hear a speech or a talk from from members of the staff? Club's been very open and accommodating towards the Suns, no question about that. No formalised functions as such, Shane, but we yep. do get invited to open training sessions and the players and the coaching staff for that many, Dewey, you know, having come from South Australia himself, um, and they're very proactive about coming over and chatting to us. They'll sign stuff, have photos taken with us, um, and as all the Suns creamers will tell you, Jared Witts is, is my number one man, and it was rather aw- you know rather awestruck to actually meet him in the flesh and get a selfie taken with him and all that sort of stuff. Um, they really look after us very, very well down here. The membership department, Josh, um, Taylor, all of the crew in there look after us really, really well there as well. We, we cannot complain one eye over about the access that the, the club does give us, and we really appreciate it here in South Australia. We know we're a small group, but the way the club looks after us is fantastic. Oh, that's good to hear. Uh, it'd be nice though if the club could put together a an organised function or something for you guys. I remember I was probably only 12 to 15 years of age, and being a Crow supporter up in Queensland, we only got... Um, yeah, we would join... We were part of a, a Queensland supporters group, and every time they came up here to play at the Gabba, we'd go up, we'd meet the players before the game or the day after at like either a breakfast or a lunch sort of meeting. The players would get up, a couple of them have a few words, and then mingle for a little bit. And it was such a highlight of my time uh, supporting football, just being able to meet my heroes and get autographs and things like that. Uh, so I can imagine it would go a long way if the Suns could do something similar for, for their South Australian fans and even their fans in other parts of the country, WA and uh, Victoria as well. Um, it Yeah, it has a huge impact on the, the support and making a young Suns fan, uh, making his dream come true, which I'm sure there are plenty of young Suns fans down in South Australia with the way that they're going and the amount of South Australians on our list. We've got quite a few and we've always had quite a few because I've been following this really closely ever since... The Suns came into the competition with Sam Day and Daniel Gorringe being a, a few off the top of my head that were South Australian. And uh, even now we've got Lukosius Rankin, um, man of the match from the other night, Chris Burgess, South Australian. Um, Charlie Ballard, there's just so many. I think there were nine in the game against Adelaide that were South Australians for the Suns. And Adelaide had nine South Australians in their side as well. So really, really just shows how much of South Australia is in Queensland. Like, they come up here and they tend to stay up here. They, they just love the sunshine and love the, the Gold Coast community. And look, Huey Greenwood's another perfect example of that. I mean, he, he was a South Australian boy, came, up, came over from Perth to South Australia, played at Adelaide, and he has absolutely embraced every moment of the Suns there as well. And, and look, while we're talking about Jack Lacocious, and we'll, we'll talk about the game in depth more shortly, we do have to give a special shout-out to him because about 30 seconds in the game to go, he had a kick-out from fullback. He looked a bit uncertain. And a number of us just all caught at the same time, go the barrel, go the torpy, Jack, go the torpy. Bless his cotton socks, he did exactly that and put it straight down the centre. So we know that Jack was actually listening to us at that stage. Um, unfortunately, that the game was gone, but it was good to know that Jack did at least acknowledge the 
the uh, often helpful advice he does get from the cheer squad. <laughs> and you must follow some of these uh, South Australians with a bit more curiosity and a bit more attention, considering you've probably seen them come up through the ranks in the Sandful before they went to the Suns. Funny story, you mentioned Chris Burgess, easily a man of the match. The other night, um, I've got a good friend of mine who's involved very closely at West Adelaide, and um, I saw a lot of Chris's early games, and, and this gentleman is very, very deep in the match committee down there as well, and he said to me after the game, really not sure about this Chris Burgess, so I'm not sure if he'll make it. And I looked him in the eye, and I said, he, he will make it. You have to persist with this guy. There's a real X factor to him, and, and there's something you've got to persist with. And whether it was I had any say in it or whatsoever or not, they did keep playing with Chris Burgess. And, and he stepped up and showed us exactly what he's capable of the other night. Um, Jack Lacocious, we knew, was going to be one out of the box. He was fantastic here in the Sandfield. I called a couple of his finals um, with the Eagles. And what you see now at AFL level is what he was delivering here as a 17-year-old. Um, beautiful disposal, very clean hands. You've got to bear in mind he was a key forward here at Sandfield level as a 17-year-old against hardened men, and he was more than holding his own and more than hitting the scoreboard. Isaac Rankin was a highlights package from, from the word go. And Isaac never was and never will be the player that will get 25 disposals and kick five goals. He might only get 10 or 12 touches, but he'll lay a lot of tackles, and you'll remember every one of those 10 or 12 touches. That is exactly what he delivered at Sanford level. The one big change we've seen about him over the years is he has lost a lot of his um, silly lack of discipline things that he was doing, some of the petulance that he was perhaps showing as a younger player. He's really maturing. He's growing into himself. Um, he's, he's a fine young man, and he's becoming a really mature young footballer. We know he's going to do some silly things now and again, and we saw one or two of those the other night, but he's also never going to die wondering. Um, and what you're seeing now is just an extension of what we saw for, for a couple of years here on the Sandful. Yeah, certainly lots to look forward to and enjoy about those boys coming through. Uh, we'd better get into the, the match review. So Gold Coast took on Adelaide at Adelaide Oval Friday night, Good Friday. Uh, 12 goals, 13.85. They lost to Adelaide, 14.11.95. A 10-point margin there. Uh, four goals to King and two goals to each to Holman and Burgess. Best on ground, uh, probably Burgess. At least that's definitely how the Suns voted in their player of the, the match. Um, I thought Greenwood was impressive. He had 10 clearances and 14 tackles. Lacocious had 652 metres gained. Unfortunately, that was only at 36% efficiency. So a big problem there with a man that's usually so accurate with his disposal. Uh, Jack Bowes, 625 metres gained. Ballard had 10 marks. Anderson was the leading disposal getter with 26 disposals. And Burgess had three contested marks. So very impressive there. And the bloke on the field that had the best disposal efficiency. I'm always a big fan of disposal efficiency. Jared Harbrow with 16 disposals, 100% disposal efficiency. So the two new, um, not new recruits, the two new additions to the side this week, Burgess and Harbrow, both contributed admirably to the, to the game. Unfortunately, it wasn't enough to get the result we wanted. Now, there were a couple of criticisms I have from this, Chris. Um, first of all, I felt like they you may see things differently being at the game, but from what I saw on telly, I felt like the Suns weren't chasing and weren't uh, doing the gut running and tackling as well as they should have. There wasn't enough accountability on some of the Crows players that just ran riot 
through the central corridor for most of the night. And um, they also conceded 50 more uncontested possessions, which just highlights the work rate that Adelaide had compared to the Suns. Um, how do you feel about that? Do you think that criticism's on the mark, or am I shooting a bit wide there? I don't think it's unfounded, Shane, entirely. Um, and, and early on, the, the lack of accountability was fine because we we banged on the first five scoring shots before Adelaide hardly had a chance to enter their, their forward 50. Um, so I, I don't think anyone minds if you're running ahead of the ball when you're doing that sort of thing. When the tide started to turn and it was more in the second quarter, you know, we, we scored five goals in the first term and then didn't score a goal. In the second term, we did start to allow Adelaide to get the ascendancy back and start running through the corridor a lot more. And that was really noticeable. Adelaide were going through the corridor and going coast to coast a few times, whereas we were chipping far and wide, chipping short to contest. And, and I used to coach myself in the country, and I used to say to my players, if you're going to go short to a contest, then go long to a contest instead because you've got metres gained. We did turn the ball over through some of our own errors a few times. Trying to be a little bit too cute, um, you know, you don't necessarily need the flowers if you can get the bread and butter there and just and just bang it long sometimes, which is what we really needed to do. You did touch on Jack Lacocious, and I'm loath to be too critical, but that was one of his less stellar games by foot that we've, we've seen. He didn't seem nearly as sure of himself as we've normally seen throughout the season. Um, Charlie Ballard was fantastic in defence. No, no question there with the, with the 10 marks. Chris Burgess was certainly around the mark there. I think part of the problem... For me, and I, I noticed this big time on the night, Shane, um, we had some fairly unaccountable forwards, to, to be perfectly truthful. Um, ben King gets an absolute tick, and I thought he was one of our best players with, with four goals. Um, but I'll sort of look at the, the stats now um, on players that didn't lay a tackle on the night. Jared Witts didn't lay a tackle. That's okay. He was dominating the rucks, and he was all over Riley O'Brien at that moment. Noel Anderson didn't lay a tackle. I don't mind that so much because Noah's at the moment a finisher rather than a and a creator in some ways, and he's becoming a lot more creative as well and a, a really um, really stepping up in the midfield. Alex Sexton didn't lay a tackle either, and he also hardly hit the scoreboard. He did have a goal disallowed, which was actually a horrific decision in the first term um, when it was called a throw against Isaac Rankin, and even all the Fox footy crew on the replay said there was no way that was a throw. That was a real momentum turner for us. But, but Seco's not laying tackles in attack at the moment. Ben Ainsworth isn't laying as much defensive pressure as we need to see at the moment, and... That was where Adelaide started to really get the ascendancy back. Brody Smith was starting to zone off in defence. Paul Seaton was starting to zone off in defence. Luke Brown was creating an option back there as well. Tom Duday. These are the sorts of players that were, that were almost non-existent in the first 30 minutes and then all of a sudden started to really come into their own as our defensive pressure dropped off. And I thought that was a really telling factor for us. Yeah, the Crows halfback. If you've ever been a renter, you know it's stressful to find a place with everything you love and nothing you don't. But did you know Zillow does rentals? It makes the search so easy. They have filters for pretty much everything, so you can find that place that's in your budget, but also isn't a shoebox. Or a place that's close to your parents, but far enough they have to call first. Plus, it's easy to apply, request tours, and pay rent in the app. Head to ZillowRentals.com and find your sweet spot. It's definitely turned it on as the game went on, and... Uh... I'll add another name to that, Ben Ainsworth. I'm usually a big fan of his, but he was very quiet on that night. And the other one, Will Brody. I didn't think he did too much, and uh, he should be playing a bit of time as a half forward as well as inside mid. And um, yet he didn't really seem to travel at all when he was down in the forward line. So 
some of those other Suns players need to do a bit more to contribute when they do go forward. And um, that's probably the sign of when we've got a good team is when we're getting more than a handful of players uh, hitting that scoreboard. Will Brody, I think, is a victim of circumstance at the moment. I think he's struggling to perhaps find a clear, defined and consistent role for us at the moment. He's, he's filling in a gap here and there. He's, he's going back for a little bit. He's going forward for a little bit. Has the odd run through the middle here and there. But he's not getting a chance to really be consistent in one position. And that comes down to the coaching staff perhaps showing some faith in him. So I'm, I'm prepared to give Broads a pass mark at the moment because he's not been given the right opportunity. If he is given the opportunity to consolidate and then three, four, five games in, it's still not happening, then certainly I think we need to look at a different direction for him on field. But I think he's suffering from a bit of a, a victim of circumstance um, there at the moment. Will, Will Powell's probably a little bit in the same same boat there as well at the moment. They're, they're both struggling to find that role. And one player that was really down on the night, which was uncharacteristic because he normally tortures the... the Adelaide Football Club. David Swallow only had 12 touches too, and he, he averages something like 26 to 27 against Adelaide. They did their homework on him big time, and we hardly saw him in the contest. I would have loved to have seen him go as a high half forward in that last term and use his creativity up there, but for some reason we didn't go to that, and I'm not quite sure why. Yeah, a couple of interesting decisions there that we didn't go with. But the positives from this game, I was highly impressed with our marks and contested marks. I can't remember the last time Gold Coast Suns won the marking contest and the mark count for um, the final uh, stats because one of my criticisms for so long has been that we can't take marks inside 50, we can't take contested marks and the Suns came out and beat the Crows at that uh, stat. So Really good to see because I think that's the first step in kicking a winning score is being able to grab the ball when it counts. And the other thing is, well, I mentioned it before, the selection committee. Bringing in Burgess, bringing in Harbrow, they certainly contributed to the win. And I don't think there was any other player we could have brought in that would have had just as much, if not more, of an impact than those two. Burjo was an inspired decision and, and it's... And, and he proved his worth late in the game when he had to go into the ruck uh, through no real fault of his own. And he held his own against a very high-standard AFL ruckman in Riley O'Brien. He eventually tired, but that was more so because he'd been doing so much work and attack alongside Benny King. And, and when you're at ground level and they're 30 to 40 metres away, you see a lot of things that aren't shown up on the TV very well. He was creating dummy leads to give King over space. Him and, him and Ben were working really well, leading in different directions. It was really good to see down there. And you think long-term that could be a very dangerous combination for us up there. If you get Isaac working at their feet, you get a Nick Holman coming in as a defensive forward, then you've got a real opportunity to build an X-factor forward line down there. The challenge we're going to find now with Witsy going down, which we'll talk about shortly, is where do we use Chris Burgess now? Are we going to be forced to use him as a pinch-hitting ruckman, or can we still release him as, as that third third tall in attack? I'd love to see us do the latter, but I've got to I think it might be the former um, through necessity, unfortunately. Well, I'd, I've got an interesting theory on that, which just came to me before the show as I watched the KO Mini to catch up on the, the game. Sim, it was a couple of days ago now, but we'll discuss that in a moment. I do want to give the play of the game to Chris Burgess. Um... Play of the game. So nine minutes to go. Will Brody? Not sorry, nine minutes to go in the third quarter. Will Brody had a slick hand pass from the boundary line out to Rankin. I thought this 
ball was going to go out of bounds. I thought it was going to be a dead ball, but Brody managed to sneak a hand pass out, get it over to Sexton, and then Burgess had a goal just in just in front for his second. And uh, that just highlighted how much of a work rate the Suns are, are bringing. It was a great team effort and uh, a good result for both Will Brody, who started it, and Chris Burgess, who finished it. And all four players you mentioned um, were coming in and out of the contest leading up until Burjo getting that goal. Yeah. Um, Brody was having his moments. Rankin was having his moments but was getting shut down. Seco was in and out of the contest, but they all combined really well. And you're right, it was a wonderful thing to see, that, that Burgess goal. And again, when you're at ground level 40 to 50 metres away, you see just how hard the players are working um, at the ground level with that sort of thing. And the other thing was is that there were a couple of players that were moving into the centre to create dummy options. They actually dragged a couple of Adelaide's best defenders up there with them, and they were focused so much on them, they didn't notice that Burjo was starting to leak out the back there. That was a really good example of teamwork, where a couple of other players prepared to sacrifice their games, drag the defenders with them, and let Burjo do the finishing. You're right, excellent player of the game. Yeah. Um, while we're talking about Burgess and what we were just talking about before with the Rucks, so the only bit of news we have tonight is that Jared Witts is unfortunately out for the season with an ACL injury. So another very, very sad thing that happened on Good Friday. Um, probably unlucky as well not to get a free kick when Riley O'Brien uh, dived on the ball, um, taking out uh, Wits' legs. Normally that would be paid a free kick and it certainly would have stopped a Crows goal which followed while Wits was trying to get off the field. So unlucky there. But with Wits out, we've got a ruck dilemma. Um, do we continue to play Burgess in the ruck? Do we bring in uh, Caleb Graham who played ruck as a junior before moving to defence? Um or do we do we try one of our forwards, Lacocious or King, or an untried um, son in Patrick Murtagh? Have you got any thoughts on this one? We can rule out Jack Lacocious straight away, and 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 Dewey was very firm on that in the presser. Uh, he said there is just no way that Jack will be going into into the ruck, and that's absolutely the right decision. Jack has not rucked at Sandfall level. Um, he is not a natural ruckman. Just because you're told doesn't make you a ruckman. Um, and, and Dewey has categorically ruled that one out straight away, so I can put that, that idea to bed. Yep. Ben King, I think, will be in the same boat. And while he's 202 centimetres, um, I think Dewey would be very loath to take your best key forward out and put him in the middle because, you know, he can't tap the ball down to himself and kick the goals. You need Kingy up there. You know, bearing in mind, he's in his third, third season of AFL. Um, so he's still a relative baby in football terms and still is learning his craft around the ground without throwing him in into the ruck situation. Look, Jack, Jack Homsch is a left field option, but he's never been known as a ruckman, even at Sandfall level here with the Port Magpies. And I can't quite see him coming up to, to AFL level as a ruckman, particularly when he hasn't actually played an AFL game now for nearly two years. It's asking a lot for him. Um, Caleb Graham, I don't, I don't mind the idea, but, but again, we're talking a, a relatively inexperienced young player there. You know, Caleb's played, uh, what, 10, I think 10 games exactly. So, again, it's a bit of a risk. Um, I'm leaning more towards the Josh Corbett option if we have to do that. We know Corbett does create a contest. We know he's willing to throw his body around. He's another player who's probably at a bit of a crossroads in his career, and I think this might be the opportunity to really get him um, seizing the opportunity with both hands. He can then pinch it in the ruck there 
uh, pinch in at full forward, I should say, or, or half forward, and Chris Burgess can share the ruck duties with him. That would be a natural tactical move, I think, for them. They can rotate the pair of them up forward and in the ruck and, and share the load. And Hugh Greenwood can also go into the ruck there as well. I think between the three of them, you've got a combination that we can get through for at least the next four to six weeks until Zach Smith is hopefully ready to come back. Yeah, I think it's going to be some sort of combination of those. I did have a thought just before the show that um, maybe we look to play Hugh Greenwood as our ruckman and try to keep the structure with Burgess and King down forward for most of the game. Now, Greenwood being the extra midfielder, he basically just has to try to get the ball to ground and minimise the impact of the opposition ruckman. It would allow a player such as Will Brody to come up and play the inside mid role that we know he is capable of playing and bring him into the game more, potentially giving us a more damaging weapon for extracting the footy. So that's an option I think they should look at and it could be very beneficial. We've seen teams in the past, I think it might have been Geelong and the Western Bulldogs that have gone into games before without recognised Ruckman. However, this was back in the days when we had a third man up and um, that was a tactic to have a, a third player come up and win the, the hitouts. Uh, what do you think about Greenwood as our main Ruckman and using the option to have an extra midfielder? Stewie, Joe will tell you that Hugh thinks that's a fantastic idea because Hugh's always adding to have a, a bit of a, a nudge in the ruck, and he's mentioned that before on the presses there as well. Yep. I think it's a very good idea, Shane. My, my one and only worry with that is that Huey cops a lot of um, battering as it is in, in his basic battering ram inside mid-sole of things as it is, and I'm, and I'm worried that we would wear him down a little bit faster than, than we'd like um, and lose some of that tackling pressure and having him play in the ruck role if he can manage both sides of it. And certainly it's an idea. We know that he's got the basketball background. He's got a good spring on him. He's as, as keen as mustard to go into the ruck there himself. Um, I think that's probably not a bad idea there at all. And certainly bring Brody into things. We touched on before him struggling without a defined role at the moment. I think this is a perfect opportunity for you know, not only Greenwood to go into the ruck, but open up some of those opportunities for other players, whether it's a Brody, whether it's a Corbett. You know, from, from adversity comes opportunity with which going down. Yeah, and it's only four to six weeks until we can hopefully get Zach Smith back on the park. And that at least gives us a tall senior body that can sort of shelter the ruck load for a majority of the game. So we'll see how that one pans out. Um, how do you think the Suns are going at the moment with their style of football? I felt like they're... When when we are kicking goals, it's from a direct result of free-flowing, fast movement off the footy, usually through the corridor. However, a few times on Friday night, we saw them utilise the open spaces of the wing that Adelaide had gifted them. Uh, but it was still a very fast movement off the footy, allowing Ben King to get uh, one-on-ones and get on the lead. Do you think that is the way the Suns need to be playing more to, to get these wins? I think you get away with that against Adelaide and North Melbourne. I'm not sure you get away with it against Richmond and Geelong. And and that's that's the sort of thing that we, we need to be looking more forward to. And I said that to a couple of the guys on Friday night. I'd like to see us play tempo football more often and now and again hold them all up for two to three minutes. So, reset the game style, reset mentally, and give players a chance just to get that breather and get the game back on their own terms there for two to three minutes because... Excuse me for a minute. <coughs> that's I right. I think we lost, we lost some of that... Um, we lost some of that 
control the ball through being so eager to push it forward sometimes. So then despite the result back in round one, you would have been happy with the style of football we saw them play, keeping possession and maintaining it away from the West Coast? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that was when we, we did start to you know, play the game on our terms, hold the ball away from them. And it's one of the oldest adages in football. If you've got the ball, the opposition doesn't. And therefore, the opposition has to get the impetus to get the ball back from you. And it sounds like so simple a thing, but we often forget that in football. And we forget so much about you know, how easy it is to make the game very technical. And it's a very simple game, really. Hold on to the ball longer than the opposition and get it to the other end more quickly. Well, you often do that by holding on to it more and just building that position the downside of that, Shane, is that it does give the opposition time to drop numbers back across half forward, drop numbers back into attack, and that's when the likes of King, Rankin, Sexton, Burgess, um, Ainsworth struggle to find room to move. The only thing you have to sacrifice that occasionally just to get the control back on your terms. And it also does give you the opportunity that if you are kicked on the turnover, you've got a number of those players that created the from defence originally, they're already back there anyway to, to try and build the wall and, and try and rebound. Yeah, you do mention that, and that actually gives me a bit of concern that despite the new rule changes that we're seeing allowing this free movement of the football, um, if if teams go back to that control uh, control style of the game, we're going to see what Port Adelaide did back in those early 2000s and flood, and we're going to see the res- resurgence of the flood and it's going to create some pretty ugly football, and the Suns already aren't great with their disposal when going inside 50. Uh, It's only going to get worse when the entire opposition team's in there. It is a a valid point. Um, I think, though, and one thing that's been really underestimated, the 6-6-6 rule now has made flooding a lot less prevalent, and it has made it a lot harder for teams to flood because now they have to set up in the standard positions at the bounce, and... And occasionally when teams do get caught on that, we usually see the turnover from the free kick um, result in a goal straight away. So teams are very keen to structure up there. If you're able to maintain control and still move it on at a relatively good pace, 666 will often ensure that you can still win the ball from a centre clearance fairly quickly, still get it up into attack as we saw the other night. And we've got to bear in mind, again, that first 15 minutes was outstanding. You know, we, we were banging it into attack, had five scoring shots of the ball before Adelaide blinked because we were... We were sticking firmly to the structures and taking advantage of the opportunity to, to reset at the centre bounces. Only have the six players in each side of the things and just move it forward to those six fairly quickly. Hmm. And just on that, uh, you mentioned the quick movement, uh, how quickly you can score from centre bounces, and Adelaide did that so well on Friday night, in particular when they've got a key tall target down there, Tex Walker. Sam Collins didn't have the greatest of games, and I think Tex got under his skin. Is there anything you saw which at ground level which uh, sort of clears that up a bit? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We didn't support we didn't support um, Sam Collins nearly enough, and, and I mean we really did not support Sammy. Sammy did well to have only six kicked on him to be perfectly frank, because um, some of our second and third defenders weren't drifting over to help him in the contest. Sam is fantastic at taking the intercept mark. He's fantastic at the contested grab. Sam will always get slightly exposed one-on-one against a mobile key forward like Tex Walker. Tex is 30. He's been down the last couple of seasons, but he started like a bull of the gate. He's probably got eight to nine Brownlow medal votes at the moment. We should have had an extra tall dropping back onto him occasionally, but we had too many situations where Sam was marooned out there, one out with Tex. Walker is always going to be faster when the ball hits the ground than Sammy Collins will. That's not Sammy's strength. His, his 
strength is intercept marking. We didn't support him nearly enough at ground level. And I, I think when when Stuart Jew and Josh Franco and, and, and Heath, Heath Uni and all these guys go through the tape, they're going to highlight a number of those one-on-one contests in defence and they're going to turn to their defensive other five players and say, where were you at this contest? Because Tech's needed to be you know, double-teamed occasionally there. We had too many opportunities to, to have our money one out. And as I said... Sam did a marvellous job of restricting him to six. I know, you know, in layman's terms, he had a bad night, but from a pure, pure football perspective at ground level, he was lucky it wasn't eight or nine. Well, yeah, and they're going to have an opportunity to prove themselves as early as this week. The Suns come up against Carlton on Saturday night at Metricon Stadium, a Carlton side that was under a lot of pressure and finally released on the weekend by getting their first win of the season, thanks to a seven-goal, five-behind haul from young Blues forward Harry Mackay. And uh, Sam Collins is going to have his hands full to try to contain him and he's probably definitely going to need the help of his surrounding uh, team to to stop Mackay and Carlton from running away with this game and we also need to make sure our Harbrow is up to scratch to play on someone like Eddie Betts who traditionally tears the Gold Coast apart whenever he plays us um, He certainly does and the other player that is making me quite nervous despite his absolute lack of impact so far in the season. Levi Casbolt's another one that has gotten off the leash against us in the past, and he's been very quiet so far. But you would sense that um, David Teague would be more than ready for us to put a lot of focus on Harry Mackay, and therefore that Levi Casbolt will be pushed up as the, the next most dominant forward. We're going to have to try and really work on him very closely. I mean, Casbolt only hit the scoreboard once on the weekend, but we know that he can turn a contest around very, very quickly. Um, they've got a couple of really dangerous forwards up there as well that we're going to have to work very closely on. Michael Gibbons, the start of the season, like a bull out of gate. Lockie Fogarty, one of the best park and buy recruits of, of the season, you know, had a goal, 25 odd touches. These smaller forwards are the sorts that can be really, really dangerous up there on attack. So I'd be very wary of us worrying too much about Harry Mackay and letting some of these so called lesser lights off the leash there as well, because if we do put all of the eggs into the Harry Mackay basket, I guarantee it's going to be a long night for us. We're going to have to be very, very wary all around the park up there. Exactly. And many times Gold Coast come up against Carlton when we think we've got a chance to win and they fall flat on their face. So hopefully that doesn't happen this week. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The Sydney win. (laughs) So the best way for Gold Coast to get the win this week, I think, is to... just win the midfield dominance they despite not having wits against uh, Carlton's Ruckman Pitnett we're going to have to win the clearances we're going to have to shut Cripps and Walsh down and we're going to have to get that ball into the forward 50 as quickly as possible to give our forwards Ben King and Chris Burgess assuming he's down there um, the best opportunity against some of their key defenders such as Wiedering and uh, Jones who are, are both good defenders on their own I'd expect Wiedering will go to King firstly. Um, and my, my biggest concern you did touch on him is who's going to run with Sam Walsh. I think we're going to have to have someone run with Sam Walsh. I'm not saying we let Cripps off the leash either because otherwise you'll get 30 and torch most teams. But Walsh is the one that is really starting to pray out. I mean, 37 touches uh, the other day against Fremantle. A, a very ordinary and undisciplined Fremantle, I might add, too. So I'm wary about reading too much into Carlton's performance there. But Walsh is one that is really starting to roll through the midfield and rack up some very big and some very creative numbers there as well for them. Ed Kerno's another one that, that can play the attacking or defensive role there as well. And we're almost going to have to look at putting a, a, 
a defensive forward on Sam Doherty because he's one that creates very, very well back there for Carlton as well. Real general, can rack up 25, 30 touches um, with a you know, blink of an eye and create with most of them there as well. So it's going to be a really interesting week for the coaching staff, Shane. I'm really intrigued to see how they handle some of these matchups and, and whether we do look at handing a couple of big jobs to a couple of our younger players. I mean, you might even see someone like Noel Anderson go with Sam Walsh at some point. Now, wouldn't that be a mouth-watering contest for the, the 2020 draft crop fans? Yeah, the old days of going head-to-head with your best players. I think it was uh, back in those days, it was Nat Fife and Patrick Dangerfield we were looking forward to watching. So a young, up-and-coming Sam Walsh versus Noah Anderson would be a, a great contest to watch. Um, we don't have much time left, so just quickly, who do you think comes in and who goes out of the side? I think Corbett comes in with a wit, so I, th- I think that's just a logical and, and structural change that we need to look at. I'm, I'm just a little bit wary about Murtar too early. Um, Caleb Graham's another option there, but I think from a pure structure point of view, we know Corbett can play forward. We know he can pinch it in the ruck. It's a perfect combination for him and Burgess to rotate out of attack in the ruck, share those duties there with um, Hugh Greenwood, and... Um, really look at creating something up there, I think, and giving some headaches and, and a three-pronged ruck attack against Pitnet. Pitnet is is fairly handy around the ground, but a little bit limited when it goes into defence. And I think that Greenwood could drag him into into our attack a few times and really expose him down there. I think the other change is, um, look, I, I, I hate to say it, um, I'll give, you, give you one stat. This gentleman laid 22 tackles in 14 games last year. Alex Sexton, Hugh Greenwood has laid 23 tackles in the last two matches. Um, we can't afford to have a lack of defensive pressure, I don't think. I love Seko when he's on song. He is the sort of player that can bob up and kick five or six, but at the moment I think we need to go with a defensive forward option, get those five or six tackles and the extra goal back in there. I'll bring Nick Coleman in. I think it's time to start Nick Coleman um, on the ground and maybe make Alex Sexton the sub um, because he's a real shot trooper that could come in and cause a bit of damage. So... For me, it'll be um, Wits and Sexton out and Corbett and Holman in. All right. Well, that's all the time we've got for today. Thank you. Psst. Want to hear something amazing? Oh, and feel free to tell your friends too. So, Coles, they're having a huge sale on summer stuff. And if you live for sunny days like I do, you need to check it out. I got 40% off a new patio set, Food Network Grilling Essentials for 20% off, and 50% off those yard games my kids won't stop talking about. Best part? I got an extra $10 off and some Coles cash. It almost makes being cooped up all winter worth it. Almost. Select styles. 10 off 25. Offer valid May 27th through 31st. Some exclusions apply. See store or Kohl's.com for details. If you've been a renter, you know it's stressful to find the perfect place. But Zillow Rentals make it easy. They have filters for pretty much everything. So you can find a rental that's big enough for entertaining your friends, but small enough they won't crash all weekend. Find your sweet spot on ZillowRentals.com.